Good evening, Julian. Good evening, Mike. And how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. And welcome, everybody, to Series 2, Episode 4 of Veterinary Ramblings. My name is Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hode. Do you know, I didn't quite recognise you there. No, I was in disguise. All right, have you got a mask on? Yeah, you couldn't see it. They're invisible in daily usage. Oh, right, excellent. Yeah, you, you sort of take it for granted that people are going to wear masks these days. I don't notice them anymore. No, yeah. I don't either. Yeah. No, absolutely. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. But before we go on, and before we start introducing tonight's guest, I think we should make it perfectly clear to everybody that if you're the sort of person that complains about the table next to you in a restaurant, talking about wounds or blood or gore or infections, because it's putting you off your tea, you'd better switch off now. <laughs> There's going to be lots of gore tonight. Lots. Because this lot. is veterinary ramblings, and this is where who knows where the conversation will go or what we're going to talk about. And we wouldn't wish go to anywhere. We, we, we don't want to offend anybody. Um, that's not our intention. Our intention is to educate, um, amuse, and generally have some fun. And if you're involved in veterinary or veterinary medical or medical um, fields, then very often that's how we unwind. That's how we get some of the stuff that we deal with on a routine basis out of our system so that we can pitch up the next day and go through it all again. So um, if you don't like jokes about pus making guacamole, then don't listen to that one. No, don't don't listen to that one because that would be no. awful. So, um, should, should we start the show, Guy? Let's start the show. And we've got a, another very special guest tonight, haven't we? We have indeed. Um, yeah. A very special guest. Um, he, he uses lots of long words that I struggle with, so perhaps you'd be kind enough to, to tell the audience, Julian, about our guest, and then we'll announce him and get him in out of the way, because he's, he's actually in the waiting room now. He's in the waiting room, he's waiting for yep. us. He's poured himself a gin. Uh, so tonight Good. we have Mr Nick Saunders. Now, Mr, of course, means that he's a surgeon, he's a human surgeon at that. Not just a human surgeon, he's one of the leading ENT surgeons in this country. He's uh, an examiner for the Joint College of uh, Surgeries, the Intercollegiate uh, College. He's also an examiner for the European Board of ENT Surgery. And he specialises in middle ear and skull-based surgery. His name is Nick Saunders, he's in the waiting room. Let's get him in now. So, Nick Saunders. Hi. Hi, Nick. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. How, How are the devil are you? I'm, I'm very well, thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much indeed. We've, we've told the we've told the audience that uh, if things get a bit gruesome, they should just switch off. They shouldn't be watching us in the first place. Yeah. They shouldn't listen to discussion about pus and discharge and smelly things. Blood pouring out everywhere, and brains oozing out of the sides of skulls. So um, we won't mention those at all. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Not, not for the screamish, for sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Absolutely. Have you got a, got a drink? I have. I have. I'm. I'm. I'm on the the Brockmans tonight with uh, with Fever Tree Elderflower, which is which I have to say is a rather good combination. I haven't How tried the Elderflower one. I've got I've got a bottle of uh, uh, lavender. Lavender, lavender dry gin, 
um, with uh, with fever tree as well, and it's it's jolly nice. It's uh, gone a sort of pale pale pink colour in the mm. purple. Cheers. <laughs> have you have you had any barbecues recently, Nick? I have, I have with 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 my um with my green egg. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of barbecues are available. They they are they are and they're green different. Egg. Yeah, Nick, green, egg. green egg. I've heard of green tomatoes, but green eggs. It's brilliant. It's a Komodo style uh, oven. Other large monitor lizard based uh, barbecues are available. It's, it's, it's really, I, I, my, my culinary skills aren't quite up to the, uh, the level of Julian's, but it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it covers a multitude of sins and it can make most things taste pretty decent. Sure. Is that because you've got a small green egg and he's got a Mongolian fire pit to feed the Mongolian hordes as they ride across the steps to invade China? I've seen. Have you seen his? Yeah. Have you seen his I have seen his barbecue. It, it, it is fantastic. It is fantastic. You do expect to see a yak roasting on it. To be yeah, fair. You <laughs> and you could probably. I've, I've got one on order. Hasn't arrived yet. What a yak! Yeah, yeah. If you if you bought it as a whole or as a half? Uh, just a half. Half side of yak. Half side of yak. Mm. Not not a taper. No. <laughs> we can't we can't afford such delicious meats. You have been watching, haven't you, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> oh. hey, I managed. I managed to cook Yorkshire pudding on my barbecue last weekend. <laughs> right. What with the yak? <laughs> How dare you talk about my wife like that? No, she she sat and watched. Um, she, I'm going to get it in the neck for that. Yeah, yeah but, but I no, think, um, yeah, yeah, Julian. Before before we go too much further, I think we, we, we'd better be very careful. Because it appears that. It appears that this guest has actually seen previous episodes. Bugger. <laughs> that's, ne- that's never happened before. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going back in incognito, I think. Let, let's, let's go back on this. Look, I got not enough praise, I think, for my cooking Yorkshire puddings on a barbecue. Oh, right. You, oh, uh, you did what, Julian? You cooked yeah, Yorkshire yeah, puddings on a barbecue? Yorkshire pudding. got the Dutch oven on top, put it up to charcoal mark five, and uh, got the temperature nice and hot, put the oil in, put the Yorkshire in. Slightly burnt, but yeah, it was all right. That's amazing. I can't keep wow. it. Are you, are you a charcoal man, Mike, or are you? Me, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a wood-fired barbecue man. Yeah. Uh, See, mine, mine's dual fuel. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. What, wood and charcoal? Wood and charcoal. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So wood and older wood. <clears throat> Yeah, let's face it, we're all wrecking the planet with our barbecues, but... Um, yeah. Other ways of wrecking the planet are available. Yes, yes. And Driving also Barnard Castle. Yes, yes, unnecessarily. Yep. Um, um, yeah, that's probably about the only one, actually, isn't it? Because uh, he's wrecked lockdown and, and, and the environment. Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. Oh, I, I said I wouldn't talk about Dominic Cummings tonight. Yeah. So are we... <laughs> It gets a little bit so. So when you're not when you're not on your barbecue, Nick, you are cutting bits of skull out of people's heads. Cutting, drilling, very occasionally chiselling. Yeah, yeah. All all, all other methods of removing bone are available. Uh, Yes, I've seen them. I was at a Millwall football match once. (laughs) So I I do do quite a lot of that. Just sort of um, yeah. 
moving various bits of, of bone and putting new bits of bone in different places and moving stuff around and um yeah now what, one of the things that, that you, you 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 constantly amaze me actually with the things you do because i i do obviously uh surgery on on, on dogs and cats uh you make my surgery look more like uh, I've got a chainsaw because you, you do very, very precise surgery and you actually replace uh, the uh, the ossicles of the ear, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the uh, the fiddliest operation, I think probably the fiddliest operation that anyone does actually, and probably in the whole of surgeries, is, is called a stapedectomy. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if many animals have, have stapes. Most of them are, are single ossicles and, and collimanas, aren't they? But the, 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 the human ear's got, got the, the, the three ossicles. And sometimes the stapes gets fixed. It, it should move uh, in and out like a piston in a cylinder. Mm-hmm. And, and if you uh, extend the, the, the coronary, essentially the, the piston rings get coked up and the, and the, and the stapes stops moving. And uh, that gives you hearing loss, and you can use a hearing aid, or you can uh, you can try and bypass it with some surgery. And the surgery is, yes, yeah, it's quite fiddly. You, you, you basically take off the uh, the top bit of the stapes. It looks like a like a stirrup, hence the name. And you so you take off the legs and laser uh, a little hole in the uh, in the foot plate, the bottom bit, and then hang a new uh, piston, a new hang a prosthesis in. They, they, to give you some idea, um, the diameter of the holy laser is 0.8 of a millimetre. Um, the diameter of the piston is 0.6 of a millimetre. Uh, it's four and a half millimetres long with a little coat hanger on the top. You've got to hang over the uh, the incus and then, and then laser in place. So it, it's, it's, it's not one to do after a big night out. And you don't have too many coffees that morning, do you? I, I, actually, I'm, I'm quite unusual in that coffee doesn't give me a tremor, so I'm quite lucky on that one. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, no, no, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be doing it if your hand was a bit shaky, for sure. So, so you're not doing one tomorrow morning, then? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be pleased to hear I'm not. How, how long would you say it takes you to do that sort of surgery? That's a couple of hours, mm-hmm. which which is actually quite quick compared to a lot of the stuff I do. Some of the some of the some of it will take three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get well, if you get a big a, a, a big middle ear cholesteatoma or something, um, yeah, that'll be three or four hours of guzzling around in something about the size of your thumbnail. Yeah, wow. that's a lot of guzzling around, isn't it? Mm. Uh, the, the big problems, I guess, are going to be avoiding the uh, the delicate structures of the facial nerve, the venous plexuses. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so- there, there's there's a lot of a lot of clockwork you don't want to mess up in quite a small area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all in three dimensions, and uh, it, it's yeah. You, you've got to kind of know where you're going, and I've, you've got to know it fairly intuitively. Um, I, I teach on quite a lot of uh, anatomy courses, and, and, and I run a couple. And so I, and the anatomy, the question, are, you, are you operating down a microscope then, Nick? Oh yeah, yeah. Binocular right. operating microscope. Right. Okay. But the, 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 the question: the, How do you learn? to do that or, or um, how do you how do you accurately teach to do that a lot books and then cadaveric dissection mm-hmm. um, there are all sorts of clever 3d haptic simulators which are not great some yeah. some of them are okay um, but then they're fine if you for, for, for absolutely raw beginners but for once you get past that stage um there's no real substitute for for simulation 
-hmm. and there's plastic temporal bones you can use and they, those are quite good um but actually um there's no real substitute for cadaveric dissection and, and the courses i run are based on that because you, you've got to know your anatomy intuitively I, I think the spiel i give to the to the candidates is is because all the anatomy is usually deranged and, and, and you know you, you, you're in there there may only be one or two landmarks and all the rest may have been may have been destroyed mm -hmm. you've got to know it in the same way that if you've grown up in a village all your life and you get dropped off at three in the morning after too many pints in the fog you know how to get home from one lamppost this sounds very much like a trip back from the riser on uh... <laughs> <laughs> what one Christmas? <laughs> was, that the, was that the time you fell in the fish in the pond, in the village pond? It, it, it was very icy. It was for right. to do it. It was very icy. Yeah, we, we we almost ended up in a little stream. Uh, it, it was about that time that we used our friend Jonathan as Jonathan as a toboggan, wasn't it? I mean, a few of us sat in him and, and and scooted along. Yeah, I don't think he enjoyed that much. To be fair, never forgiven us. No, no. Yeah. So, can you uh, when you have students learning how to do this uh do, do you ever record what they do and talk them through it afterwards yeah we've started doing that we've we've done we've done quite a lot of stuff um we'll, oh, we, only we, i read your paper earlier that you'd written about that oh well done i'm impressed <laughs> done your research yeah no you can you can record it you can send it back you can um uh go back and critique it you try and do that individually rather than in front of everyone else because you know teaching by humiliation is is, is apparently passe these days um, do, you, do you give a, a feedback sandwich, do, do um, feedback sandwich? i tend to use a baguette <laughs> i was talking about baguettes i think so I, I was i was i was slightly i was i was just i was just parma ham and, and nice cheese i was i was i was miles away sorry <laughs> <laughs> ah, there we go. Feedback sandwiches. Feedback sandwich. <laughs> well, the point that I was making was this other instructor didn't quite get it, you see. So we had to give a feedback sandwich. He did something good, did something bad, did something good. So uh, he, he looked at his fellow climber. He said, uh, that was crap. And the instructor said, no, no, no. Remember the feedback sandwich? Did something good? Then something you know, needs a bit of a tweak. And then something good, something positive at the end. He said, oh, okay, um, uh, you, uh, I like your harness. It's new, is it? Anyway, you're climbing shit. Uh, your bum looks good in the harness. <laughs> so, something tells me that Nick is far more subtle than that, Julian. Oh, I don't know. Are you, Nick? Um, yes, but the purposes of this podcast, I, I am a, a model tutor. Good, um, I thought so. I thought so. I'm going to put so you wouldn't ever say to, um, to 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 an intern, please feel free to cope if you need help. I um, I, I would occasionally uh, occasionally use obviously purely in jest, you know, as as a, as, as a as a as a supportive trainer. Hmm. I would I would only I would only use that to someone who I felt was uh, was ready to cope with that um, that level of uh, banter, should we say. So now I, I managed to bring the conversation round to, to, to climbing, but actually, Mike, you you rather neatly brought it round to cycling, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Nick, do you? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, 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 can you st stay with the program? Yes. <laughs> I, I was still on cheese and hamburger. Sorry. 
Have you eaten tonight, Nick? Yes, I have. Sorry. You have. But you yeah. didn't get a cheese and ham baguette, did you? We didn't get a cheese and ham baguette, no. It's, that's your ultimate favourite dish, isn't it? Cheese and I'm ham baguettes. Yeah. yeah. Good well, I'll tell you what, if you pay attention, we'll get you a cheese and ham baguette. For I've had some really good cheese and ham baguette cycling. Have you really? Yes. Okay. In all sorts of nice places. So you utilise the uh, the carbohydrate means of fueling? You know, I mix carb and, 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 and protein. Obviously, a little, bit of, a little bit of protein from the ham and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yes. It's, and it's, you know doesn't get sweaty in your back pocket. I think I just missed the, 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 the baguette out of the <laughs> butter and the cheese and a little bit of ham wrapped around it. Sorry, can I, I just thank the viewers, never, never carry around a chicken and ham baguette in your back pocket. Uh, it probably goes against several hygiene rules. <laughs> and it just looks wrong. <laughs> Don't even put it in your front pocket, that looks even worse. I tell you, as, as more and more people are out on the roads and more more drivers are actually giving cyclists some space on the roads nowadays, the, the best thing I found for this happened quite by accident was that um, early one morning I came across a pheasant that had been freshly killed um, on the road. And I thought, that's not going to waste. So I tucked said pheasant down the back of my jersey. And I had a predominantly white jersey on at the time. So um, that, that was interesting. And the tail feathers were sticking out at the back and so it, it sort of looks as if I'd been shot in the back um, with the blood seeping through the white jersey and obviously dripping down or some of my entrails were hanging out the side I had no problem with cars giving me a wide berth that morning whilst I'd got the dead pheasant in my back but I wouldn't recommend that either so you ride bicycles highway code? Sorry? is that in the highway code that you should use a dead pheasant to, to, to avoid cars passing you too close? Cause like, it should be, it should be if it isn't. Well, yeah. I think it is. Mike's essentially carb free. Aren't you? He's still carb free, Mike. Uh, no, not really. Not really. As you, as you can see, I, I yeah, drink, yeah. um, <laughs> fever tree tonic. And this evening, as we've discussed, when you were... I'm drinking this, but, um, yeah. Lone Wolf McCade. Um, you were essentially carb-free yeah. for quite a while, though, weren't you? Yeah, particularly when I was when I was um, racing bicycles. So that was um, no bread, no pasta, no rice, no potatoes. Um, essentially, yeah, carb-free. That's that's moderately controversial for for a racing cyclist. You, you you've come across the the big controversy at the moment of cyclists I'm taking ketones. I'm yeah, going to just yeah, drink yeah. gin for a while. By the way, you you carry on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, you, you carry on drinking. I, I don't know. Um, the, the pros will all spend a couple of months in the winter doing low-level fat-burning training, and they are essentially carb-free during that point. Um, Julian's getting a double shot of carbs there. Okay, Julian, we'll we'll drop off the no, screen. No, 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 it's, it's exciting stuff. So this is the, the keto diet, isn't it? Yeah. It's the ketone diet, but but what's the, the big controversy recently is that was it is it Oxford University have produced um, a readily assimilable form of ketones that people can drink to fuel their activities? And uh, no, someone drank some nail polish remover by mistake. Yeah, <laughs> something like I wrote that. It up. No, it's it's quite a big controversy because it's not banned. Um, as a performance-enhancing substance, and why would it be? Then, then neither's tramadol. <laughs> Have you been doing your research? 
you're allowed tramadol in the last bottle. So say in your last bottle before you before the sprint, a lot of a lot of uh, racing cyclists will have tramadol. That was blamed for 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 quite a lot of uh, crashes at the end at the end of big races because they reckon that they were just a little bit slow down on tramadol. Really, mm. I uh, it wouldn't work for me because I I projectile vomit after eating tramadol. There you go. So, mind you, if if there's someone ahead of me on the bike, they, they'd stop and just have to clean their jersey, wouldn't they? So, no. If, 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 if you can, if you can turn your head while projectile vomiting, then that will give you some forward propulsion. Yeah. I don't know if I've got the time or or or, uh, or control when I've got tramadol on board to do that. And, and may also upset the people trying to overtake you. Yeah, but well, that's a big advantage, isn't it? Mm. So. Okay, I'll, I'll try it. Yeah, no, don't. Fancy the ride, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I want to. I want to get into these the, a bit more into into the surgery you're doing there, Nick. Because oh, well, well, some of the stuff I I, I saw was um, you're talking about surfer's ear. Oh yeah, now that that's 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 an interesting one. Um, the uh, the ear canal is is the only place in the bone in the body where skin sits directly on bone right. and there seems to be an odd reaction when you get immersed in cold water that makes you make more bone and if you surf windsurf open water swim in cold water you get these little bony growths in the ear canal that can almost completely close off your ear canal and some people have done some quite fun research to look at why and, and how it happens um it, it's very much down to repeated immersion so if if you're in the water for a long time you don't get them divers don't tend to get them and it seems to be down to um cooling so if you look at the surfers on the west coast of the states mm -hmm. as we know surfers spend most of the time sitting on their board looking out to sea waiting for the next wave yeah and in, in the states there's a prevailing northerly wind in the winter and if you look at the surfers out there, they have uh, twice as many extrastoses in their right ear as they do in their left ear. And it's the cold wind blowing in their right ear that gives them bad extrastoses in their right ear. So mm. if, if these guys if these guys really got into it and actually put earphones in mm. to listen to the, the Bee Gees or the latest West Coast surfer sound, then they probably wouldn't suffer from problems. Pro probably not. It might... It might they, they might ruin the earphones, but they would probably wear, no, they, they do actually wear um, earplugs now, and 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 the, the recommendation is to wear earplugs. And in fact, there's some quite quite funky little ones. They've got a little Gore-Tex membrane down the middle, so you can still hear the wave coming. You can still hear people shouting, "Get off my wave!" I've seen those. Um, they, they 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 help. They work to... really well. All right, they work really well. So I, I, figure, I figure in that case, then I'm going to share my screen with you. You wouldn't recommend this then? <laughs> oh. No, for those for those at home that, that can't actually see this, um, I'm showing a picture of a surfer captured a couple of years ago in the Arctic Circle, and he is catching a wave and surfing aggressively under the moonlight, but also lit by the aurora borealis, the northern lights shining down on a snow-capped peak. So you you wouldn't recommend that then? 
Well, that, he'd probably be all right because it's probably so cold it'd only been there for about five minutes. So he'd probably get away with it because it's actually down to sort of repeated immersion and, 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 right. and duration. So he'd probably be all right. Oh, okay. Um, and actually, interestingly, one of the one of the things they say is that the reason people get them now is because of wetsuits. Because in the old days, you couldn't stay in the water very long, so you didn't get extra stasis. But now you can stay in the water longer. Right. You, you get you get extra stasis because you've got decent wetsuits. But they, they've used them for all sorts of they've used them for anthropology because because it's not just surfers that get them. And uh, if you look at skulls from from burials, you can work out what people did and how they got their food because. You know, in 3,000 years BC, if you wanted to get fish, you had to go in the water and get your fish. You didn't have a boat or a net or a, a carbon fishing rod. So you can tell what was happening in communities and whether they were fishing. And you can even look at you can even look at sociology with it. If you look at the uh, some Roman burials from different parts of, of Italy, you can work out the social structure because if you see uh, that was obviously a rich burial. Um, in some in some towns, in the rich burials, the uh, the skulls don't have exostasis, and in the poorer burials, they do, implying it's a fairly hierarchical structure. And and, and the old the the, uh, the richer people did what you expect rich Romans to do, and sit around feeding each other grapes, um, and orgies, and, and orgies, obviously, yeah. and orgies. Yeah. Whereas in in some of the uh, some of the burials, even the rich burials have got exostasis. So even the rich people went fishing, and it was thought to be a more a, a flatter less hierarchical structure so you can you can even use it for sort of anthropological sociology which is about the only thing in ENT that you can to be fair and and, and there was a theory wasn't there that actually it may be due as well to uh to, to people uh, using the frigidariums that these three rooms of the baths the, the um caldarium the tepidarium the frigidarium and so a lot of the um uh, a lot of the romans that, that that were found to have these uh uh, exostatic growths um, probably spent a lot of time in the tepidarium and frigidarium rather necessarily than the, than the caldarium uh, and I, there was a I, feeling that is, is it more expensive to use all three were they were they the ones who just used those ones because they preferred it or they they could only afford the the colder ones i have to say every day every day is a school day because I, I didn't know that so uh, you got you got me on that one but yeah google scholar today <laughs> um, that leads us back on to, to cholesteatomas because the same thing has happened there uh, that they've been able to uh, to look at quite a few skulls because of course the cholesteatomas tend to cause bone loss mm. don't they and so rather than having these bony growths with cholesteatomas you've got bone loss the, the soft tissue has gone away the, the um, uh, deposits that cause the cholesteatoma has, has eroded and uh, just dissipated but these uh, eroded lesions within the skull are still there, so they've they've looked to see that the health of people's hearing uh, up to sort of six seven thousand years ago. Mm. No, yeah, I mean they they they, they you, you uh, get a very characteristic bone loss, a very characteristic pattern of bone erosion. Um, it, that, that's an interesting one because I'm not convinced there is a strong. Uh, socioeconomic bias to cholesteatoma. It, 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 it's said that it's, it, it's got some socioeconomic uh, a preponderance, but I, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think I think it's fairly fairly flat from that point of view, but it, you certainly can look at, at, at health and and, and um, you can certainly work out what people died from because it, it does kill you. Yeah, it predisposes to um, uh, neural infections, doesn't it? Brain infections. Yeah, I mean, it's, if you've got a cholesteatoma, you've got about a 2% 
annual chance of intracranial infection. Um, so brain abscess, meningitis, stuff like that, which is why we tend to operate on it. So uh, if, if we sort of rewind for a minute for those viewers who are just about to switch off thinking they're talking long words, we don't know what they are. A, a cholesteatoma is, uh, well, oma means growth, but it's not a tumour. So do you want to tell us what these growths well, are? It, 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 well, it sounds like a, a, a growth of cholesterol, and it, it's, it's exactly not that. Um, it's, it's got nothing to do with cholesterol and it's not it's great. Basically, the ear canal skin is naturally migratory. Um, the, the, the skin and uh, the, the, the drum and the ear canal are covered in, in squamous epithelium, which has got to shed the top layer like any other squamous epithelium. And because the ear canal is a tube, it, it would very quickly just fill up with dead skin. So there's a clever migratory pattern um, from the middle of the eardrum out onto the ear uh, canal and, and out to the outside. Um, whereby the ear cleans itself, dead skin comes out the, out the outside, and that's how we make earwax. And, and you can actually see that if you put a little dot of ink on someone's eardrum and watch it over a few weeks, you see that dot of ink move outwards and move out on the eardrum and out along the, uh, the ear canal. We should really... say, don't do that at home, guys. Yeah. Uh, well, if you do, if you do, you do very, very, very soft like felt tip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it with a big bar, right? A very soft felt tip might be all right. Yeah. Soft felt tip. Yeah. Not one of those 0.3 mil pentels, because no, and definitely not a propelling pencil. Right, right. Um, so, so sorry, yes, do carry on. Sure. Which is which is a really really clever mechanism um, if it's going outwards. But if it if you get a retracted eardrum, or or sometimes if you get certain perforations, it can start to go inwards, and then it then it takes on some really 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 nasty uh, characteristics, and it can start to eat away at bone. And set up infection, and you get all sorts of granulations. Um, it activates osteoclasts, so all the bone disappears. And it's generally bad because, as, as we mentioned earlier, there's quite a lot of important clockwork in that area. There's a facial nerve, there's the inner rear, there's your brain, and you don't really want it eating away at that. So, how, how do patients present with that then, Nick? I'm... Normally, painless discharge, so recurrent infections. So right. they've had they've had a runny ear on and off for a year or two, or sometimes sometimes fifteen years. Um, so it's, it's sometimes just hearing loss, but normally it's just recurrent painless discharge in the ear. Right. And animals do get clostridiomas actually. Yeah, I've I've treated a few. Um, yeah. The you say they're painless, and they're painless uh, until you try and remove the, the plug. Yes, right? and and then they become very very painful not when i do it so so everyone should go and see you but but some of them are picked up i think routine appointments aren't they for um yeah i mean they're, 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 they are incidental findings quite quite commonly um uh, and I, I i think one that sticks in the mind is i remember a, a five-year-old girl who came in with a, a bead stuck in her ear and I took the bead out of her and found a clostridioma behind it. Oh, and, and so, um, you know, they, they are sometimes incidental. You could argue that you should stop the bead in the ear because the ear was irritating it because you had a clostridioma there, which is possible. But, um, you yeah, know, they, 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 you do pick them up incidentally. And, 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 and when you pick them up incidentally in someone who's <clears throat> older or not so fit for an anesthetic, you've then got that difficult decision of do you operate on something that's a potential health threat but isn't causing them any symptoms in someone feeling anaesthetic can be 
an issue. So yeah, that's that's often a difficult difficult discussion. Hmm. And and when you remove them, uh, do you remove them via the ear canal, or do you have to? Remove- uh, no, I, I do them all with an incision behind the ear. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do all sorts of clever things, and, and increasingly now we are like for small ones, we're using endoscopic uh, techniques. Um, so with a combination of the endoscope and the laser, you can get to all sorts of things that you didn't used to be able to get to. Get to. And the lasers, the laser is really good for it. You can you can just take little bits of clostridium off the ossicles without without taking the ossicles out, which is which is a big a big step forward. We used to, used to have to do big operations, remove all the bone, remove the ossicles, and and we're getting a bit more subtle with it now. We're we're still at the not subtle stage. Uh, I've got a picture here of one. P- people who are uh, of squeamish nature may want to to turn away. Uh, Brenda, you shouldn't be on this far anyway. Um, but here's uh, here's the ear canal from a dog with a cholesteatoma, uh, and, and it was huge. It was actually um, uh, emanating from the, um, the the middle ear, uh, and had actually taken over the whole of the horizontal canal. So dogs have this this little L-shaped uh, horizontal canal and vertical canal. For uh, for listeners to the show rather than viewers, Julian was holding up. Um, a photograph, a cutaway of an actual operation that he'd done on a dog's ear. And the way to get hold of that, of course, is to tune in online and watch the video version of this. And uh, you'll be able to see in quite graphic detail the uh, the retractors and the blood and the drapes and all of the good surgery he's done. And Julian, how did that one end up? Uh, it ended up like this. So there we go. Oh, There's very nice. Dog and uh, there's the, the the line of sutures and they actually do very well uh it's a big op it's very painful for them they've been kept in for a few days but it's t- totally a canal ablation usually with a, a lateral bullar osteotomy combined so we're taking out the the ossicle we're taking out the uh the, usually a lot of uh, debris from the from the um uh, tympanic bulla uh, but we we lack the finesse at the moment to be able to remove the uh steatomas endoscopically it's coming it will we'll get there well you've got an endoscope you've got an endoscope i have i have yeah it's 11 millimeters a bit big (laughs) get a small one what size is yours nick um well he goes down this is not something i say very often julian but i'm pleased to say it's smaller than yours Good question. You might know if Nick tells Look it up, look. What do you think? It's a surgeon disguised as a rubber duck. That's brilliant. I suspect it probably is. <laughs> Fantastic. So That's he's awesome. wearing a surgical scrubs and a mask. Excellent. I like that. I think our viewers will like that as well. <laughs> I, I hope your rubber duck isn't special to you, Nick. His <laughs> <laughs> palm could come to a rubber duck that people want. Like that. Oh. It, 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 was, it was given to me by a friend. I, I, I uh, when I started doing paediatric ENT, I, I used to keep a, a rubber duck in my uh, in my briefcase for, for mm. distraction. Yep. And and it, it was amazingly good actually. And I, I always used to say never underestimate under, never underestimate the power of the duck. And, and that was a, a present from a, a friend of mine. Yes. I, How do you turn a duck going. into a pop star? What? How do you turn what? a duck into a pop star? You stick him in the microwave till he's Bill Withers. 
I'm not having enough gin for that one. Sorry, do, do have yeah, another one quick. <laughs> so, uh, Leslie, so we've, we've done that. We've done these little exosteses from Surfazia. We've done stapedectomies. We've done them, um, cholesteatomas. Uh, I, I know one of your uh, one of your favourite operations uh, is mastoidectomies. Mm. Uh, see, we, we don't have mastoids in dogs and cats, so I've never done one. Um, but you've you've found a, a great deal of success performing radical mastoidectomies, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the operation. One of the operations I do for cholesteatoma. Um, so, so in, in animals, obviously, it's just really something down down the ear canal. But in in humans, because we've got this this mastoid, this big honeycomb of bone behind the ear, um, that's where the cholesteatoma tends to go and where it tends to hide. Mm. And so, um, you, you spend a long time uh, trying to get it out of the out of the mastoid with doing as as really interesting as little damage as you can. And, and I. I, I try. I've moved more away from modified radical mastoids into into all sorts of other things now. And because and, one of the one of the downsides of radical mastoidectomy is that is it you basically you've not got a normal ear. Uh, it, it accumulates wax. You've got to keep water out of it, and and you're kind of giving someone a a, a chronic health issue. They they need to come and have their ears cleaned out every few months. They, you know, it's something they've got to worry about, which which is okay. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But certainly in, in kids, I don't like doing it. And, and, and I, in, in anyone who's is young, active, wants to swim or whatever, um, I've moved away from modified radical mastoids and, and, and I do other stuff now. And there's there's, there's all sorts of ways of, of, of doing what's called a combined approach procedure where you tunnel through the mastoid and through the ear canal, often use the endoscopes with that, often use the laser with that. And, and you actually try and give someone as normal an ear canal as, as you can. Um, Sometimes it takes more than one operation. Often you, you, you do as a planned two-stage procedure because um, the cholesterol has got a, a nasty habit of, of coming back and you can't always see if it's come back. Uh, um, and, and scans aren't quite there yet in terms of, in terms of picking that up. Some of the MRI sequences now are getting better at it, but they're, they're still not, not quite there. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I've, I've done about six, six or 700 mastoids now. And I, I probably, I could probably say that no two have been actually the same. That you just kind of deal with what you've got, and and, and um, I wouldn't say make it up as you go along, but you certainly uh, adapt as you as you as you operate. You're making mm. my ears very itchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, I'm glad you said that. I've been dying to scratch my. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Absolutely. So one of, one of the one of the biggest problems we have with dogs and cats ears uh, is is that of recurrent infection. And obviously, with, with antibiotic overusage, we, we're constantly being advised to, to reduce our, our antibiotic usage. Uh, and and we, we do that by, by performing culture and sensitivity tests before we give the antibiotics. But, but also, we try and use other things. We use flushes, we use washes, we use things like Bureau's solution um, and, uh, and acetic acid and, and, and even honey these days. Do you have a problem with, with, with recurrent ear infections in people that, that aren't caused by steatomas and, and things? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you get a lot of uh, recurrent otitis externa, which is basically just a skin infection of, of, of the yeah. ear canal. Um, similarly, we try and avoid using antibiotics if we can. Um, acetic acid we use. And there's some stuff called air calm you can buy over the counter, which is basically an acetic acid spray because obviously the, you change the pH and the bugs don't like that. Um, 
not tried honey. I have to say, it, it, it's not not one I've I've, I've tried. I'd imagine it'd be quite sticky in in, in, in here. But um, yeah, we, we do see quite a lot of recurrent ear infections in 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 humans. The easy way of doing it is you just tell people to get their ears dry. And and if you're if you're a swimmer, you wear earplugs. Um, and nine times out of ten, that stops it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with with dogs, it's slightly harder to get earplugs in. A little bit, a little bit. In, in some ways, the, the, the earplug problem would, would, would exacerbate, sorry, the earplugs would exacerbate the problem because of this um, right angle turn they have and, and the fact that uh, dogs with inside out ears, floppy ears, have a, a, a natural barrier which creates a sort of incubator within their ears. But it's usually multifactorial. So we see dogs with uh, allergic skin disease having the worst ear problems. And more often than not, just changing the food to a hypoallergenic food will sort them out. Uh, making yeah. sure that, as you say, that, that if they're swimmers, we, we reduce their swimming. Um, but they, they, they so would you suggest hypoallergenic kibble for my patients? I would do. Yeah, yeah. Try try them on um, Hill ZD. Other okay. foods are available. Uh, or salmon and potato. That's quite a good one. If if you actually hide it in the two sides of a baguette, then. <sighs> Now you're talking. A feedback talking. sandwich. Feedback yeah. sandwich? Well, or feedback baguette. Yes. As it's now going to become known. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's, one of the treatments for chronic otitis in dogs used to be to do something called a, a lateral wall resection. Have you come across that? It used to be uh, a zet. Sorry, I was, I, was, I was on baguettes again. Sorry, you were saying? <laughs> So we used to treat dogs surgically uh, to, to, to help with chronic ear infections by doing this thing called a, a lateral wall resection, where we'd, we'd make an incision uh, either either side of the ear canal and fold the canal down and create a sort of draining platform. Uh, and they'd invariably not work. It was an absolutely crap procedure. It's called Zepp's procedure, and he, he should have been burnt at the stake for even suggesting it. Uh, I think there are still a few vets that qualified before 1976 that are still doing it. But by and large, it, it's, uh, it's not a good procedure. And, and there, there must be a, a lot of procedures, I guess, in the human field as well that, that used to be de rigueur 20 years ago or so. Yes, Mr. Zepp, what, what, what can I do for you? You're watching the internet live. <laughs> right. No, no, no. If, if you if you hadn't phoned us, then you'd have heard that Julian was extolling the virtues of uh, of Mr. Zepp's procedure, your your procedure. Yep. Yeah, no, no, no. Watch it again on replay. It's going to be on in 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 a few hours' time. Yeah, yeah. No problem at all. Thank you for your call, Mr. Zepp. Yep. My there you go. Bye. Yeah. Uh, Julian, that was Mr. Zepp. On the... Has he gone? Yeah, he's gone now. He's gone. Yeah. Sorry, Zeppo. Any any old thing you used to do when you first qualified that 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 a guy out of fever? Oh, lots of stuff, lots of lots of stuff. Um, some because better stuffs come along. Some because it just didn't work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, no, I mean we used to do all sorts of all sorts of horrible things to people. Um, we used to cauterize their noses with hot wire. And 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 uh, if you're having recurrent nosebleeds, you you would literally get a a what looked quite a lot like a soldering iron, and um, essentially you'd use a bit of local anaesthetic. Have you had this done? Yeah, yeah, I had that done for not handing my Latin homework in once. 
<laughs> I bet they didn't use the anesthetic there for you, did they? No. No. It, 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 it works quite well. Okay. Patients don't like having the smell of their own burning flesh in their nose. <laughs> uh, and that, that was that was one of the drawbacks. Um, and 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 also you'd singe the hair. It was it was just bad. So we stopped doing that. Good. Good. Um, I've got Nick a bottle of this. Now this was so it was it was a special birth. This was a gift, was it? This is a special uh, gift. No, knowing how I mean, Nick and I share a love of whiskey, so knowing how he likes whiskey, I went into uh, the whiskey shop and he said, you, "You need to try this. It's an, it's an English whiskey." And I said, "Well, I'm not, not convinced." And they said, "No, no, it's it's very much." So I bought a bottle. It was stupidly overpriced, and I thought, "I'll give it to Nick, and we'll try it together." <laughs> Jesus, it was horrible, wasn't it? <laughs> It was, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not one to be ungrateful about a present. It was. <laughs> it was. It was, was undrinkable. It was foul. I would prefer to drink creosote and have done. It was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely awful. I have, I have actually since used it to 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 treat the fence. <laughs> well, don't, don't put the don't put the uh, the egg anywhere near it, will you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd though, isn't it? Because the, the Welsh single malt. Oh, Pandora, that's, that's quite decent. That's decent. That's nice. Mm. What, what do the Scots think of this? They don't mind. They're, they're making enough money on theirs. Okay. I'm, I'm actually always in awe, Nick, about the, the surgery that you do. Um, it's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Really fascinating. Uh, so we, we tend to do sort of butchery, I think, uh, sadly, rather than surgery. That, that, that um, total ear canal ablation that I showed you. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a bit of finesse. You know, you've got to uh, mind the superricular artery and the facial nerve. And, and so there's, there's some fine dissection, but it's basically whacking out the whole ear. Uh, and I can't help feeling every time I do it, there's got to be a better way. Unfortunately, I do fewer and fewer because actually these days we, we can medically manage most of them. <clears throat> but um, it's a horrific op. Uh, most times it works, and if you dose them up with enough analgesia, they're, they're fine. Uh, and, and two to three days later, they're perfect and never look back. About one in one in twenty, I suppose, get a recurrence of the infection, and they then develop these deep-seated abscesses that are a real nightmare to get rid of, because you then got to go in there and dissect everything out and try and find the facial nerve again and put a drain in. We usually use active suction drains. <clears throat> um, and I'm, I'm lucky. All the ones I've gone in on again have, have got better. But there are some horrific stories of, of dogs that have had to be put to sleep because you can't control the infections, they recurrence and, uh, and, and they get you know, facial nerve paralysis. Uh, how, how often would you prank a facial nerve or something like that? You prang uh, with, with cats about one in two, um, but but temporarily. Yeah. So they all all cats will develop horners for three or four days afterwards, and some cats will have um, mild facial nerve paralysis for, for three or four weeks afterwards. About one in five dogs will have mild facial nerve paralysis, and about one in ten dogs will have complete facial nerve paralysis because they're the ones that, that develop real calcifications around the facial nerve. And you try your very best to, to dissect them away, but um, there are some that you. you just... can, can you get? Can you get? 
EMG monitoring though for, for, for dogs because we, we use passive EMG monitoring the whole time on, on the facial nerve. So the, the answer is, you, yes, I'm sure you could, um, but it's not done purely through cost reasons. Yeah. Um, well, I say purely through cost reasons. Um, we No one has the setup to, to do it. But you've also, you've also got to have them not paralyzed. Do you, do you, I mean, my you only say, do you, do you paralyze them when you, when you ventilate them or do you have them not paralyzed? Uh, no, not paralyzed. Not paralyzed. Uh, that, that's one of the that's that's one of the things that I, I find. Um, uh, how, how do I describe this? Slightly frustrating um, from a physiological point of view. In human medicine, if somebody's going to be hooked onto a ventilator, they are paralyzed. Um, in veterinary medicine, we hook them onto a ventilator because they're anesthetized, and it, it's. Um, from a finesse point of view, again, when we're talking about finesse in surgery and in anesthesia, there's, there's, a, there's a massive difference. Mm. Although, interestingly, I was I was in an orthopedic list fairly recently, just before lockdown, and the the patient was being actively supported. So the the level of anesthesia was such that the patient was having a total hip replacement under local anesthetic. So we, the patient was sedated, not heavily enough that we couldn't communicate with them. They weren't intubated, but there was a pressure sensor on their, on their mask such that if the ventilator felt they required extra assistance to breathe or to take a deep breath, then it delivered supplementary support. Now this is this is is way beyond anything that's going on in routine veterinary medicine. Oh, absolutely! I and mean, that's 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 quite clever. It was, yeah. it was it was incredible. I mean, we 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 were literally talking to the. It, it was quite a surreal situation because we were we were watching the monitors and the ventilator delivering or helping to deliver a full breath to the patient that we were talking to, whilst the head of the femur was hanging off the side of the table as the surgeon was, was chopping off the end of the, you know, the head and neck of the femur. It was, it was a I, very surreal situation. I've never I, I think the, 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 the trickiest anaesthetic I've seen given is, is when you're doing stapes or middle east surgery under local. And we used right. to do quite a lot in Australia. And, and, and then you've got a basic, because injecting local into the ear is spectacularly painful. Yep. So you, you give them basically not quite a GA. Yep. but without intubation to stick that like, stick the local in. Yeah. And, and and so obviously they're trying to keep their airway but keep them breathing spontaneously. And then wake them up during the operation. Yeah. Without them going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. So that by the time you then put the prosthesis in, yeah. you can make sure it's in the right place and ask them if they can hear. Yeah. And that, that's, that's quite a clever bit of anesthesia. I think that's I think yeah. it's superb. I've, I've seen similar stuff in eye surgery as well. Um, again, where you're communicating with the patient and, mm. and you need to be able to, but they're all locked out and mm. you've got half the eye out. Yeah. No, that, that's incredible stuff. I, I'd love that, I, that the idea of that sort of stuff. Well, you know, I had my lenses replaced uh, a couple of years ago. Right. Mm. I didn't know that. And um, obviously it's done on a local. And so the, the surgeon's talking to me throughout. And, and I, I, could, I could tell what was going on. Just, just I couldn't see much. Well, all I could see was a bit of light. 
Yeah. But then I could hear what was going on. I said, so you got the FACO going now, have you? He said, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Would you set the pressure out? I said, you know, minus 20 bar. That's pretty good, isn't it? So, uh, okay. He said, um, he said, are you not at all squeamish about this? And I said, I'd be squeamish if I suddenly heard you say, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> but until that point, no, I'm not squeamish. <laughs> Nick, Nick you, you, you've been suffering, haven't you? Because you're wearing a mask and a visor for, for your stuff. Um, oh, we've had all sorts of stuff. I, mean, for, I, haven't, yeah, I haven't done a mask tour yet since COVID, but we've got to wear FP3 masks for that. So that, those are the proper sealed ones because of all the aerosol and stuff. Yeah. And they, those are hard work. I mean, they're, they're, they're not unlike having a sort of scuba diving rig in for the whole time. There's yeah, that I, level of resistance. Um, I, when we I, were, when we were doing the, the COVID yeah. sort of ITU sport, doing the trackers and stuff, we were in the full full hoods, full full spaces, um, and that was that was quite interesting. Yeah, because you, you're trying to coordinate a theatre team where you're in a you're in a space hood, your assistants in a space hood, the anaesthetist in a space hood, um, and trying to actually coordinate that. It's, 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 it's we had to learn all sorts of, of new ways of working quite quickly. Mm. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it was it was interesting. It, it's interesting and not and not pleasant. I, I I worked for a brief time at um, at Purbright doing um, rinderpest and and um, uh, foot and mouth uh, anthrax uh, etc. And we, we we were in a there's a Cat Four lab, and so we we're wearing the, those sealed masks and uh, NRBC suits. Nice. And um, the uh, the lab was set at a constant, I think, fifteen degrees centigrade, because any lower than that, and the the the, the air would humidify too quickly, and and the mask would bung up. Any hotter than that, and you would just work for twenty minutes and mm. collapse. So it's fifteen. Yeah, and, and 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 it was pretty strict. If it went up to eighteen, then alarms would ring, and you'd have to pop out for a while till the aircon cut in again. But that was that was unpleasant, and all your movements actually were controlled. So the first few days, I found it awful, really oppressive, and thought, "Jesus, I'm, I'm never going to enjoy working here." After that, actually, you get used to it, and, and you're, you're there, and the effort you take to breathe in, breathe out, becomes unnoticeable. Mm. Um, but when you go out again afterwards, so you, you go out and you have a shower on the way through and then you change and you suddenly think, oh, gosh, I'm taking huge breaths. Tell us about your experience with COVID, with COVID Nick. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was um, yeah, about as much fun as I've not had ever, really. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I came home one night, felt a bit fluid, just a bit achy, said, I think I'm going to go and sleep in the spare room. Right. And I was supposed to be going in the next day for a meeting, um, and I phoned up and said, "Look, I really don't think I should be coming in." And they went, well, "What's your temperature?" I said, oh, "It's only thirty-seven T, but I don't feel great." And they went, "I oh, should probably come in." So I came in, sat in the corner, didn't go anywhere near anyone. Um, got home, temperature was thirty-eight too, uh, and then spent the next ten days um, in the spare room. And, and it was it was basically what happened was about the first three days, I just felt rubbish, fluey, really knackered, and then felt better. My temperature came down. I thought, oh, this is great. This is really good. 
and then day the night of day three started to feel rubbish again and then just got worse and worse and worse and then got the dry cough and then i think day seven was the worst when the temperature didn't come down at all all day but about 38 even though i was going through a lot of paracetamol and stuff and um just felt awful and that, that was the time when you were this it was early in COVID, and the, and the received wisdom at that stage was that at day seven you either got better or went to hospital and went to itu and so mm. but i was getting at my worst so that, that was that was that was quite yeah that was quite troubling and then about day eight temperature came down a bit still spiking up to about 39 and then eventually day nine day 10 it came down um, I was quite lucky and I didn't get too much in the way of respiratory stuff. Did lose my sense of smell, which was a real worry when it came to the wine cellar. Um, How long did it take to come back? I did a little randomised control trial on myself and and um, stuck some nasal steroid up one side of my nose and not the other. And it made absolutely no difference at all. And they both came back <laughs> after about three weeks. Right. So now I think um, it's the feeder cells for the... Um... Uh, for the olfactory uh, neurons, didn't they? I mean, a lot, a lot of viruses are toxic to, to the um, to the olfactory neurons. Influenza virus is known to be toxic to the olfactory neurons, so that, that's probably mm. the commonest cause of well, it. Particularly the NWS version. Not safe for work uh, version, Julian. Sorry? The not safe for work version. No, no the N NWS, not NSW. All right. <laughs> NWS. It's a neurotropic form of influenza A. But I mean, the, the thing that was striking when I got better was just how knackered I was. I, I mean, our garden is is not long. It, it's not a big garden, and I I thought when I got better I'd go for a little walk, and I got about a third of the way up the garden. I had to stop and sit down for ten minutes, and then get back to the house. Bloody hell. That's not um, good. And, okay. and and then then after about a week I had enough energy to go out for a bit of a dog walk and got up the end of the road and turned left and got up a little slope and started to get some chest pain. Mm -hmm. Um so that was which was interesting. I, and I, I did all the research and went, Oh, there's nothing in there, yeah, you can get cardiomyopathies and you can get this and you can get that, but there's nothing about any sort of coronary symptoms. So I thought, oh, I'm just putting this on. So I went out the next day and, and went a bit further and got a bit more chest pain. I went, mm, maybe there's something in this. So I then went on went on the turbo and just got the heart rate monitor on and just did a ramp test. Went up sort of by five five BPM each each five minutes. Got up to about 130 and didn't die. So I thought I'm probably all right. Um, and um, I think I probably had a bit of pericarditis because I got a bit of chest pain on and off afterwards. But yeah, I got better. And then I just took me about another three weeks to get back to work and then yeah just thought i'd better sort of rehab myself so actually now the fit has been for years but that's that's just because i sort of rehab myself and didn't stop so no, it was not fun so how long how long would you say that it's impacted you then i mean i was well i was ill for 10 days off work for another two and a half weeks and not right for about a month after that so probably a couple of months so a couple of minutes. Um, so, so you're you're into your, your your bike riding, your long distance cycle rides, your taps. So, sixty, seventy, hundred mile ride. You um, just just go and do it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay. So, a fit, healthy, 
individual and it's taken you out of the game for a couple of months. Yeah. It's, you know, incredibly fit. It's in, it's in the upper fifth centile. This is, I think what it's saying is actually don't piss around, wear a mask, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think we probably should, Julian. Looking at the time, I'm wondering oh. whether uh, we should actually close out our CPD session of ENT surgery, both human and veterinary, this evening. Have you got a certificate for us? I have. I have. Oh. I've got a certificate, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. Here's a certificate. And oh. it says, certificate, and there's a lot of small writing, certificate of seriously intensive knowledge acquisition. This certifies that our faithful viewer watched at least some of this week's broadcast. It says, you rock, dud, because uh, it didn't recognise dude on autocorrect. So, <laughs> I thought that was an homage to, to, to Dudley Moore. Well, wow. actually, Dudley Moore, he rocked, didn't he? He rocked. He and rocked. Uh, Mike and, and, and I did Cook as well. Of, uh, homages the other day, weren't we? Uh, anyway, there we go. So there's and, and no, there's another problem we tend to see in general practice, which is squamous cell carcinoma of the of the ear, oh. uh, uh, treated by pinectomy. Uh, squamous cell carcinoma of the nose, treated by nosectomy. Uh, and unfortunately, we also see that. And I know that you see a lot of uh, aggressive uh, trauma cases. Uh, we, we've spoken about those at other times, and maybe. We have a yawn again. You'll, you'll tell us some of those fun stories, like keys in ear canals and things like that. Yes, that was an interesting one. Yes. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, for, for some viewers, I think we should explain that ectomy means removal of. Um, so, if you didn't actually get the uh, the nose ectomy, or or, um, or a northern cry of "pass it to me," ectomy on the head, on the head, on the head, Ek. No, I don't do football, oh, Julian. So, so listen, let, let, let's close out our CPD, I think, because um, you, you have to do CPD as well, don't you, Nick? Do you not have to show that you have... We, we, have, we have to do, we have to do quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, some of it we have to go to really horrible places in the world to do as well. Ah, uh, yeah. Sponsored yeah. by big companies very often, but... Um, well, unfortunately, they, they kind of, they've kind of stopped that, but you, you, you have, so you have to pay for yourself. But, yeah, they, they do often put, put conferences on in, in some, some dreadful locations. Yeah, so this is like up at seven, get the first lift up, ski till 11, three hours of lectures, and then back out on the slopes again to get the last lift down where you might have a meeting in the bar afterwards I, I couldn't possibly come in okay or we go um, to birmingham for most of our cpd although from next year we're going to manchester manchester yeah oh, that's nice. how, how much cpd do you have to do then nick uh 50 hours a year right okay um, um so yeah which actually which actually when most meetings are sort of give you three or four hours is quite a lot hmm. yeah hmm. Um, well, the, vet, do... the vets have got it easy then oh obviously well, we, 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 work, we work ridiculously hard in sessions, so, you know, I mean, yeah, anyone else is just, you know, yeah, but don't know they're born, really. Well, there you go, but um, I bet you don't have to reflect on your CPD, do you? Oh, God, I have to, I have to uh, not only reflect on the CPD, I have to then demonstrate how it has improved my practice and reflect on how it's improved my practice. Oh, really? We, we just oh, have yeah. to reflect? We just reflect. 
For sure, we'll, we'll do some now. We'll do some reflection. Let's, let's reflect on the CPD that we've had tonight, and, and thank you very much indeed, gentlemen, for, for such intense CPD. But um, a moment of reflection, please. And reflect. Yeah, that's freaking that's awesome. Brilliant. Yeah, but what I mean, if we if we go by Nick's rules, we're gonna we're gonna have to reflect on how it's how it's actually improved our practice. So I suppose if I if I put the cap on the lid to clean it out, it's, that's it. That's it. That's it. I, I think it's I didn't see that. I didn't see that. No, no, it's all right. No, 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 Nick, Nick, Nick. I have been paying attention. I I have capped the end. So it's not just it's the not, pointy. It's not pointy. It's not, it's not just pointy bit. I've cushioned. Now I, I was once told that you shouldn't put anything smaller than your elbow down your ear. That is that is actually very very good advice. Because how am I going to get my elbow down my ear? Do, how many how many injuries do you see due to cotton buds in ears? Oh, loads. Loads. I, I my, my 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 general advice with cotton buds is actually to to get all your cotton buds. And and build a small pile of them in the garden and and, and burn them. All. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're good. They're good for ferrets, though. Are they? In in in, in, in what sense? How? Ah, well, now I'm glad you asked. Uh, if if you if, <laughs> we have an option. No. <laughs> if you keep a female ferret on her own, then unless unless she's um vaginally stimulated on occasions she will develop osteoporosis and die now the best thing to do is to keep a, a male ferret or, or or ideally a vasectomized male ferret and they can do the job we had an american lecturer at college telling us about this and he said what you can do if you've not got a a, a male is so uh, you can stimulate her with a q-tip and i was thinking You've got to be good. You to. I, I didn't know that Q-tips were cotton buds in America. Julian is simulating the uh, the motion of a snooker player about to uh, pot a ball on the uh, on the green beige of a snooker table. No, Q-tips are um, are, are earbuds. In fact, it's, it's quite interesting because no, no, they're not earbuds. No, they're cotton buds. They're not not cotton earbuds. Buds. Well, okay. Never ever put a cotton bud down your ear. Okay, because oh, well, because actually it compresses the wax, doesn't it? Solidifies the wax and can damage the eardrum. But it's, it's very much like um, if you're loading a cannon, and you know those big things you used to stick the gunpowder down at the cannon. Yeah, ramrods. Mm. Brian yeah, Blessing. Yes, yeah. That's pretty much exactly what a cotton bud does in your ear. Hmm. So it would probably be better to pour honey into our ear and get our dogs to lick it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, but um, we, could we could reciprocate, but no, we couldn't reciprocate. <laughs> you can't. No, the RSPCA are against that with good reason. So, so never take home message. N never stick anything down your ear. No. Please. Mm, good. Oh, unless it's someone else's elbow. Unless it's someone else's elbow. Mm. Which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play rugby too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So well, listen, it's fantastic. It's absolutely super, Nick, having you on. Have you got a joke, Julian? Uh, no. With what we've yes, been I have. Yes, I have actually. Yeah, I have got a joke. Yeah. Um, 
I've got a joke about, uh, I made it up earlier, so it might be absolutely awful, but it's about uh, about cycling. And mm. it's about um, about Nick as he was cycling along, uh, doing one of his attacks, making uh, a pretty good speed. What, what would be a good speed on the flat for you? Kilometres an hour. Because I, I know in the rules, you've got to talk kilometres an hour, haven't you? You can't do any of this miles per hour stuff. 30, 35. Okay, so, so you're, doing, you're doing about 35. And, uh, and you look behind you, and there's this little kid on a bike, rapidly catching up. So you think, what the hell's going on here? So you, you drop the gears down a bit. So you're off, you're up to 40 kilometers an hour. You turn back, this little kid catching up rapidly. You start to go uphill. You drop another couple of cogs, give it a handful, off you go, you zoom straight up. And you turn around and he's almost at the back of your bike. You say, mister, 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 mister. Hang on, so you, you slow down a bit. He says, Mister, you look like you can, you're pretty good at cycling. Yeah, I've done a bit. He says, How'd you change gears on this? <laughs> yeah, it didn't work, did it? Do we have, do we have sound effects for tumbleweed? Yeah, we do. Every week, there's another bit of tumbleweed that just goes fast. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, I think it's called saying good night. And if anybody's enjoyed this evening, including Up until then, Julian's um, joke, um, joke. Um, then don't forget to click like and, and follow, and you'll be updated on all the new stuff that's happening on the show. And uh, join us next week when we'll have another incredible guest, Nick Saunders. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And thank it's, been you. A, it's been a delight. Such an insight much, in, into you. your world of surgery. So I can bid you good evening and may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Nick. And cut. And that's it. And that's <laughs> it. There we go. That was fairly painless, wasn't it? Is that all right? Is that all right? Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Excellent. Enjoy yourself. That was great fun. That was yeah. great fun. Yeah. Oh, good. good. It's been that's... lusted like being down the pub talking crap. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what it's supposed to be. And hopefully some people are going to watch this with that in mind. They're going to think, you know, let's just have a bit of, uh, bit of banter. And, Brenda, uh, this is not aimed at you. <laughs> and maybe I, I, I did actually forget to mention that, uh, that I have tonight, um, I, I've slightly reversed the dress code because the current COVID dress code is smart up uh, casual underneath no I don't stand up Nick don't stand up <laughs> no you can stand up go on then we're trusting <laughs> we're trusting I quite like you I mean dinner jacket trousers and, and, and black shoes I just thought why not <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Nick, can I say thank you very much indeed? It's been it's been a, a, a pleasure, Mike. Well, as long as, you've enjoyed, as long as you've enjoyed yourself, that's it's been splendid. It's been great. Good. Hey, Nick, thank, thank you so much. Thanks for coming, and thanks for coming on such short notice as well. Yeah, really appreciate that too. No problems. All right, thanks. Bye, Have a good session, Bye guys. All right. Good Cheers. night. Bye. 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 He's gone. What a decent guy. So, Mike, have you started your Christmas shopping yet? Christmas shopping? Is it that time of year already?
Nah, it's always good to be organised. You don't want the last minute rush to find the perfect gift. Gifts? That reminds me. Do you know what would make a wonderful Christmas gift? Gin? Well, yeah, but do you know what's better than gin? More gin? No, no, go on, go on. Go on. Our great new Veterinary Ramblings merchandise. <sighs> oh, yes, of course. Yeah. I'd love to find those in my Christmas stocking. Well, let's see what Santa brings for you. One of our tapir badges, pin badges, perhaps? Oh, I'd love that. Or, oh, 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 Mike, what about a framed photo? Uh, one of the copies of Phil Lamette's exotic animal photographs. That would look lovely in my office, alongside George's beautiful you greeting cards. Wow. I mean, I've got to say thank you to all of the talented people that have provided us with these lovely gifts to give you all for supporting our Kickstarter. If you'd like to get ahead of your Christmas shopping or buy some treats for yourself, head on over to kickstarter.com, not Kickstarter, but kickstarter.com and search for Veterinary Ramblings Podcast Fundraiser to see the different packages we have available. <laughs>